Well, some authors have been shocked to find out just by chance that their books are being used to train artificial intelligence. Alex Reisner, an American journalist with The Atlantic, acquired a data set of nearly 200,000 books. Uh, the set is known as Book 3 uh, and contains pirated texts, and that data is being used without permission by big AI to program their generative artificial intelligence. To discuss, we're joined by an affected author, chef, and also, by the way, molecular biologist, Nick Sharma. Hello. Hey, Jesse. Not your first time on the show. You've got a bit of a New Zealand connection, as I recall, and we managed to uh, nab you for an interview a few years ago, just before Christmas. That is true, yes. My mom's family lives in Auckland. Awesome. And you're now based in LA and your first book is called Season, which I have. It's great. Love the cured salmon recipe. Use it all the time. Um, But as well, in the creative industries, AI has been a big story for a few months now, but it's always kind of been a bit hypothetical, a bit abstract in, in my experience. But tell me when you found out that you were being directly affected by this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you just said the right word. Like it felt abstract for so long. It was this thing that you heard about, you would see it maybe in these bots on social media, but then to see a book in there with your name was quite a bizarre and unnerving feeling. Why am I here? I mean, like literally, literally, like that's what I thought. Why is my book showing up in this, in this search engine? Yeah. How did you find out by the way? So I had read the article on The Atlantic and I was, I didn't have time to really follow up on books three. That's the data set that's used. And um, a friend of mine who's also an author, his name is Jenk, and Jenk sends me a note or he posted something on Twitter that said, hey, by the way, your book is in this data set. So I go to the data set. I look, type my name in there. And sure enough, the first cookbook season uh, shows up in that list. Luckily, my second book wasn't in there. It was such a weird feeling because it felt like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I didn't even know about this. What does it have to do with me? Okay. And then I imagine you started doing some investigating. What exactly is book three? And and do you know anything about how it's been used? So from what I did, and this is all based off what I read on the internet and did my research, a lot of this is being used to train our artificial intelligence, AI, to learn how to do different things, which is all fine and good. That's, you know, I feel like AI is here. It's not going anywhere. It's it's already been a part of our lives, even though some of us might not think we're using it daily. Mm. It's there in different ways, mm. right? And I think for me, one of the things that I was really surprised by was that my book that I had written was being used to train something or rather educate something to do a service. And I had no clue I was involved. That made it really bizarre. Yeah, particularly because, um, sure, you write a book and you put it out out there in the world, but there are limits. You know, people are allowed to buy it and use it. Um, Newspapers can run excerpts from it with your permission. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But you never gave permission for this use. And I wonder, is it, I mean, you're in the TV industry as well. Um, this is a big issue in Hollywood at the moment, right? The, the law not really being um, up to date with technology. Is that the problem here, that law around copyright and publication hasn't kept up with the advances in AI? I think with technology in general, I don't think the laws, and I speak 
of this coming from an American perspective, yeah. but I feel the laws have just not been following the pace at which technology is accelerating. And that is a huge problem because a lot of us, even with the whole situation with books three, a lot of people think right now that the books are just being mined. The thing is, it's been mined a while back. It's all the, that knowledge is already being applied to AI to do whatever it has to do or what the, uh, you know, the software engineers are telling it to do. So in that sense, it's already gone ahead without us ever knowing, we mm. just found out. And I think that is problematic where the laws in our country aren't even there yet. They're still trying to scratch the surface on what is AI, where is it going? And the, the big crux of the problem is that the politicians as well as the policymakers on the Hill aren't really there at the same, or rather at the same pace or the same level where yeah. the tech industry is. And so that's the big problem. And it's the wild west right now. So, you know, technology companies are trying to get as much done as they can before laws uh, start, you know, regulating how much information can be accessed and what can be Gosh. accessed. Yeah. I wonder if even even if the laws don't specifically apply to AI, I wonder if this might be illegal anyway. I mentioned our pirated texts. Um, does anyone have a, a legal opinion about whether this might be able to be stopped, given that the, the books weren't legally acquired? I hope so. I mean, my hope is yes, I, I wish. But again, you know, I, I think one of the things that's happening right now, at least on the Hill, is that they are asking tech companies to come in and advise them on what the policies should be, where is AI. And I think uh, one of the most important things is that there is no education. And I'm not quite sure how fast or rather how far uh, people on the Hill are being educated about this subject and how well. And I think that's really important because even, I mean, as the general public, we don't even know what's going on. So that's they're finding out about these things in exposés written by The Atlantic and other news media outlets. So it's it, it's failed, like public policy on this has failed. And usually like in public policies, you know, in public policy school, one of the things that I was taught was as soon as the public finds out about the problem, public policy has failed and it's clearly failed in this situation. Uh -huh. So... Um, you know, I think one of the things that people forget is that I provide unknowingly provided a service that I didn't agree to. My books are not free, both in digital format. My book is published in digital format as well as in paper. And people pay to buy those books. You can go to a, a library and access it. But again, you still pay a membership fee to a library or it's included yeah. in your taxes. Right. So you're paying for a service. And as far as I know, education isn't free anywhere. You're always paying for it in some way. You're paying the teachers, you're paying for access mm. to the materials in the form of textbooks or digital materials, supplies, everything. So in, if I apply that analogy of educating people to educating AI, which is also a service, um, that's a problem. There's a huge gap here where people have just been taken advantage of. Totally, totally. Um, do you know who is behind this and who's been using it? As far as I know from what I've read online, it's Meta and Google. Gosh. Uh, two of the main two of the main primary um, people mentioned in the lawsuit. So not a couple of cowboy operators. These are these are legit huge tech companies yep. who are doing this what? Because they're trying to keep up with each other and, and they think they can get away with it. 
that's the way it looks. Yeah. Where to from here? Is anyone taking legal action? Um, you know, I'm just following the lawsuits that are online and I, I filed the, so there were these automated letters that you could send out to the heads of these different companies. And I've done all that, but I know my publisher is also kind of following the situation. Cause as soon as I found out, I alerted my publisher and my publisher and their legal team are following the case very closely because they have other authors also yeah. that are affected by this. I imagine it might be a bit of a watershed case. I hope so, because I think one of the things is that we do need AI. I'm not saying we don't need it. It's going to be a part of our lives. I think just managing it responsibly where it doesn't become this thing where the unintended consequences were never thought. You know, it's like social media for a while. You know, everyone jumped into it. And then all these unintended consequences happen where, you know, politics, um, international governments were all affected by this. Mm and misspreading of information and stuff like that. I think those are some of the things that we're not really paying attention to right now. And that gives me pause for concern with AI is that we really need to step in um, and create strong policies to keep it in check so that we don't run into the same problems like we did with social media where we're still facing. Um, I mean, those problems haven't gone away. People are still dealing with them on various levels. Okay, well, what to with interest? Uh, books three is the case in case people want to uh, Google and find out more. Or maybe you should use Bing uh, out of loyalty this, uh, on this occasion. Nick, you've got another book coming out later in the year. What's that one all about? I have a new book coming out uh, this month, later this month called Vegetable, which is about the science of vegetables. And it teaches people how to apply vegetable biology to their kitchens and make their lives easier, fun, uh-huh. and more flavorful. That's great. Tell me, tell me a vegetable you're in love with at the moment. Cabbages. Oh, I yeah, love cabbages. Cabbage. I'm having a love, love a affair with the cabbage. Kimchi, oh, coleslaw. Yeah. It is one of the most diverse vegetables, I feel, because you can ferment it, like you mentioned, kimchi, but you can also take the leaves and just stuff them and roll them up like you do grape leaves and... They're so delicious. I imagine that they're, they're quite interesting from a molecular point of view because the um, the leaves are so hard and there must be various ways of sort of breaking them down or, or softening them to edibility. Oh, absolutely. Most of these plants, um, especially like cabbage, the leaves are hard because of all these structural carbohydrates like pectin that are inside. And all you need to do, and it's so simple, just dip it in boiling water for a couple of seconds, pull it out, let it cool, and it'll fold just because heat makes everything more tender and it's amazing. Did you say boiling water? Yeah, yeah. I dip it in boiling water for a couple of seconds just to blanch it, but it also softens the tough carbohydrates inside Wicked. and makes it bendable. I, I used to know an old uh, Greek cook and I'm trying to remember what his trick was. I feel like it was maybe like a, um, a little um, uh, quarter teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda when he was uh, boiling the cabbage, and he reckoned that used to be amazing for, for breaking down some of those structures. Oh, my gosh. Baking soda is such a huge – you know, people, we always use it in baking, but it has such an important place with vegetables because not only will it brown vegetables really well, but like you mentioned, it can also really make things softer and easier to cook. Brown them. So you, like, sprinkle some on some baked, baked potatoes sort of thing. Oh yeah, it'll make your crispy pot- your p- potatoes crispier. Oh man, because this is good. It, okay. it plays with the pectin. Yeah, it plays with the pectin, but also just improves browning. Okay, can we get you back on when your book comes out? 
Oh, absolutely. I'd be very happy to be there. Great. In the meantime, sorry you've had to deal with this nasty thing, but um, hopefully your publishers uh, are on to it and the, uh, your other authors uh, that are affected by this. Nick Sharma, great to have you on today. Thank you, Jesse. Take care.